If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the Truth That Heals podcast. I am your host, Ryan Anthony Hernandez. And today's episode is an interview with filmmaker Allison Jane Wilson, where we will be discussing her documentary film, Exit, a documentary which sheds a light on human trafficking, particularly in European countries. Thank you for watching. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Truth That Heals podcast. I am your host, Ryan Anthony Hernandez. And today I'm with a special guest, Allison Jane Wilson. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Ryan. Happy to be here. Well, Allison, uh, you are a filmmaker, and I recently seen your documentary, Exit. I've actually seen it twice already because there's just so much information, testimonies, and a lot of uh, facts, statistics that are involved in this documentary. And before we even dive into this film, I would like to ask you if you can share with the audience, the listeners out there, how you even started to get involved in the filmmaking industry. How did it all begin? Okay. Well, I left my native Australia in 2016 and, and moved to Spain. I come from a political science background and I had always worked for NGOs um, in project management and communications. And I always found myself having to hire a videographer so from that point on, I decided to study cinematography and I was looking for opportunities where I could pitch different scripts, um, treatments, competitions, things like that. And I saw that there was a really pressing problem in a town that I was living in in Spain. It was literally functioning on the sex industry. Um, so I started working with criminologists. I started diving deeper and working harder on my research. And I wrote a treatment and it won a competition at a, a festival in the UK, which is very well known for documentary. And from then on, I started working on getting seed funding, um, taking more courses. I studied in London. It, it was, it, it, it took a while to get going. I mean, it, People think making a documentary or moving over into film is going to be something easy. It's not. <laughs> it's like doing a degree over again. And sometimes finishing a documentary, you're like, oh, my God, you know. Um, but it's something that's been very worthwhile for me. Um, on an educational level, I've, I've learned so much from the survivors mostly that I've been working with. You know, the last five years or so. Okay, so in, in 2016 is when things started to go in motion yeah. towards the film industry? Yeah, I, I can give you the, the simple reason why I decided to make a documentary. I moved to this town called Catheterfels, which is where a lot of Barcelona FC players live. Um, it has a really good connection 
to Barcelona. It looks like this nice sort of coastal town. But it was also the site of the two largest macro brothels in Spain, Riviera and Saratoga. And they were closed down because of police corruption. There were something like 20 national police that went to jail. Um, and I couldn't stop snooping around this story, right? Because I saw that a lot of people had made money from these two large macro brothels, as we call them in Spain. They're like the big supermarkets on the highway, you know. And um, and I'd read the tip report, the trafficking persons report, that there were two 15-year-old Romanian girls rescued from there. We know they had moved many of the other girls into, which you would know the word, um, pisos mm -hmm. in Spain. There's like loads of clandestine pisos, apartment blocks everywhere. So... um. I started looking at this and I was asking people around the town if they knew about it. And I was getting lots of different stories. Some people, very few were saying, oh, it was terrible. Um, mostly commenting on the crime that these brothels attracted, like break and enter, um, street violence, things like that. So there was this hypothesis going around, does prostitution attract crime or does crime attract prostitution, basically? But the, the, the deal breaker for me was I was looking for um, like a play centre for my, my daughter who was three at that time. And I went into this like, play centre and I was speaking to the woman in there who seemed quite nice. And I said, oh, did you know about this, this like Riviera that closed down? Like it's huge. What are they doing with the site? Are they opening it again? <laughs> you know, I was trying to get what was going on because I knew there was a judge that, that had put a block on it mm -hmm. and they were petitioning to try and open it again. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, so terrible, so terrible, that place. So terrible it closed down. Um, we used to have a dry cleaner's. And we used to make so much money because all the girls would bring their clothes to us. Now we have to do this. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, you know, my jaw was open. I said, did you know there were like children there, 15-year-old girls who were trafficked there, 15-year-old Romanian girls? And obviously I, I did not choose that centre for my child, but I saw not just here but throughout Spain, there are entire towns profiting from these exploitation centers. There's another place, um, another town on the border between France and Spain called La Chanquera, and half of the population are in these are in these macro brothels. And because they have the Nordic model in France, the, the punters they just drive over the border to exploit in Spain. And as you would have seen in exit, 90% of the women in prostitution are migrant women. 80% present triggers. They're on the indices for trafficking victims. So, I mean, it's it's a no-brainer. Uh, when you look at these women, you know, we have a lot of street prostitution, which is mafia-run. Um, in one particular area near me, there are Georgian girls run along the highway and they've got their pimp in a different car every day 
this is the highway we we drive along every day to pick up our kids mm-hmm. you know this is how normalized it is there's like a sign every 500 meters now saying in catalan yeah. you know uh, you know think about her it's good for you but think about her you know these these signs to try and raise some consciousness amongst the sex buyers but you know you there's areas there where there's like very prestigious schools um where you think you wouldn't have this happening in in plain sight and then there are all of the the cabaret clubs um the clandestine places the um, in Barcelona in particular, there's this whole ethical porn, ethical prostitution <laughs> movement. They've just got every part of the market covered, right? And Spain is really known um, to be a haven for low-cost prostitution. Um, it's much cheaper here um, to, to buy access to another human being than, say, France or, or even Italy. You know, so um, I know that from speaking to women who are still in prostitution, but also when you read the job, um, the John boards, you know, the disgusting how they review, oh, I got mm-hmm. this and this and this, and I only paid this much money. Um, you have these big clubs, um, which, you know, operate in, in Spain as, as we call like the whiskerias or the cabaret clubs, but they're brothels mm-hmm. you know you have um cafes and bars with a room out the back you have the clandestine places you have the ethical places you have the big big like practically like supermarkets on on the highways um and coming from australia where it's a very neoliberal culture where i thought i possibly couldn't be shocked <laughs> Uh, I can be so yeah that that's basically it's impossible to look the other way okay when you live here it does not take long to realize what is going on um so I think many people who have grown up here I've spoken to some of my Spanish friends who've lived abroad they haven't become aware of it until they've moved back to Spain because it's so normalized. Mm. And Spanish women haven't been the face of prostitution for 30 years. Okay. It's migrant women. They don't see their, their mom, their sister, their daughter in these women, in these women. You know, I don't even think they see human beings basically, but mm-hmm. you know, they're migrants. And there's this whole attitude, well, you know, they're in our country. They've come here to work, you know, they can go back to their country when many of them are actually victims or, you know, they fell for a story from a smuggler. Um, A lot of the Nigerian girls, for example, they start off as a smuggling case and then they end up trafficked. Um, As you would have, don't want to give away too many spoilers, but that's clearly explained in Exit. And when you look at some of these girls that go through migrant uh, reception centres, they they stand a fifty percent chance to be re-trafficked. 
So we have very significant problems uh, here. Um, Italy and Spain in particular are kind of like the trampolines um, for the networks to bring the girls in to Europe and then go to another area where they can make more money, um, like Belgium or um, Germany, for example. But because of um, the shared language, obviously, between Latin America and Spain, mm. it's very easy for them to operate here and also because of our location. Yeah. So they can enter very easily from Morocco, um, even if they go via Libya to Italy, most come to Spain. And it, it, you need a great degree of complicity for this to happen as well. You need these very loose laws that we have. There, there are so many factors that, at why it's such a significant problem in Spain. And, and the, in the legal system in Spain, is there anything to kind of, or is there any movement to kind of slow down this trafficking of the migrants or do you think that they're perhaps uh, turning a blind eye to this situation? How is, how is everything with that? I, I mean, there, there is a movement across Europe to address this issue and it has to be European wide. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, France has the Nordic model. If France has the Nordic model and Spain doesn't, what's the point? And I mean, how the Nordic model works is it sounds quite controversial, but it has been working in Sweden. It's reduced trafficking by 50%. So what they do is the person selling sex isn't penalised, right? As you see, like in the US, you know, what will the John get? Like something like a traffic fine and the woman could possibly be incarcerated or have another huge uh, like fine or possibly prison time, like I've spoken to quite a few women who've been incarcerated for prostitution. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what the Nordic model does is it penalises the sex buyer, goes after the pimps, the middlemen, the traffickers, okay, and decriminalises the person selling sex and they're offered exit programs to get out of prostitution. Okay, because we know, you know, there are people that say they, they do choose to sell sex, right? Mm -hmm. And it's their choice. So it's an extremely complicated area to apply mm -hmm. any legislation, but this will not criminalize the person selling sex. If you are selling sex, you can continue to do so. What you cannot do is sell another human being. Okay, so you oh, can't set up your own brothel, right? And some people complain, oh, you know, it was just um, me and two friends working from this, this apartment together. You know, you're making money from another human being. That, that's not how it works, okay? So that's some of the criticism that has fallen on this model. Um, there's also an educational aspect, right? So the men, for example, in Sweden, they, they grow up much more educated about buying consent, mm -hmm. right? Um, these women who probably haven't been afforded much opportunity in life have, have a pathway. They have the chance to get out. They have the exit programs. 
But my main thing is with this, we're creating a, a lot of um, programs to help people out of situations of exploitation. But I don't think there's enough education for us not to have victims in the first place. We're not educating our young men enough. We're not educating our, our young girls enough. Um, so, you know, how about we create fewer victims, basically? Yeah. Prevent and it. Exactly. Um, because people always say to me, do you think the Nordic model will work? This and that. All of the criticisms. In theory, it should work very well. But what do you do in a country if you have a very corrupt police force? Yeah. That, that aren't going to work with the women or the frontline workers working with them. So that's why there has been a call in Spain in particular for um, the frontline workers to be able to identify um, these people, women, girls, boys, men, as victims of human trafficking so they don't have to go to the police because previously it was the police who had to, um, you know, I, do all of the work to identify them as a victim of trafficking. So that's one thing we've been trying to change in Spain. There's also an, another massive hole in the law, um, the third party pimping, the, the Tesoria Locativa, which is also explained briefly in Exit very well by Spanish lawyer Pala, Pala Fraga. Yes. These pimps are essentially putting on this uh, facade that the landlords that they're giving these, these, these women a, a room, right? So what they're doing is they're prostituting them and they're taking half or more of their income, right? Because they have to pay for the room and all the other debt and whatever gets, you know, heaped, heaped on them. Um, something else which has been going on in Spain for decades, I, I hear so many cases of it, um, especially Latin American women offered a job in Spain, you know, as a kangaroo, as a babysitter, um, a restaurant, a bakery, wherever. Mm -hmm. Some something that poses to be a decent opportunity. And of course, as soon as they get here, their passports taken, they're put in one of these these clubs, and it's like, whoa, you know, you owe me the money for the ticket. Once you pay me the money for the ticket, I'll give it back. Oh no, you owe me money for your healthcare. You know, you're you're not a citizen here. Do you think that was cheap? Oh, you owe me money for clothes. You owe me money for food. And then there are also a large amount of them are forced to sell drugs, like in the clubs, because cocaine here is everywhere, and it's also very very cheap. So you know, you have debt, then you have addiction coming in on it. And then you have like all of the family pressures, which I think you had a question there somewhere um, about um, what type of, per how can we spot some of these potential victims of trafficking? Mm -hmm. I'd say majority of the women I've talked to who have went into prostitution, who have went into prostitution or went into prostitution and end up becoming trafficking victims because they've fallen for something like this, or they've been recruited or coerced by someone they trust. They've, they've done it because they're in a vulnerable situation or they have family to care for. This can be a depressed parent, uh, mentally ill, uh, you know, mother, uh, younger siblings to care for, um, 
Vanessa in my film, she was the sole provider for a family of six, mm-hmm. you know, and you know what it's like when you have family, you, you'll do anything for them to survive, even if it is to the detriment of yourself. So I, I see these women in these really vulnerable positions that, you know, they don't want to be in prostitution, but, you know, they have to keep a roof over their head for their kids, you know? Yeah. Um, or they're sending money back home. And, you know, it, it, it's just it's just terrible because, um, you know, there's, it's still very hard to regularise these women after they've actually um, become a trafficking victim as well. So that is something as well that we're pushing for um, with, you know, changes in law and things like that. But, I mean, their equality departments are a bit of a mess here in Spain. So these, these great ideas are put forward, mm-hmm. but we don't know if current government and subsequent government will actually, you know, implement these meaningful changes. You mentioned uh, a little while ago about uh, many from especially Latin America going mm-hmm. to European countries and upon arrival, and it's also in in uh, in the documentary Exit, where their passports are confiscated. And mm-hmm. uh, I think, I'm not sure which, uh, uh, who was the one who said it, was it Vanessa? Or mm-hmm. I'm not sure who it was, but she was saying how she arrives in this country, they take, they take away her passport and then they're telling her, "Hey, the club is just—it's uh, just down the street." Next thing, next thing that happens is they're driving for hours, and it's like in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, my question is: be- before that even happens, because as as that happens, then like you just mentioned, then they give them this uh, like a a phantom debt. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. you you owe us for for this for all these things. But when they were still in Latin America or whatever their country of origin was, mm. did they tell them, did the did the person recruiting them tell them, hey, this is going to happen. You're going to owe us a debt. Uh, or was it more sugarcoated upon the recruitment uh, process? Oh, completely sugarcoated, completely sugarcoated. They, they often tell them you know, even if they do mention prostitution, they'll say, oh, you know, you can work as a waitress, but if you want to, you could do that because you'll make much more money. Don't worry, you can choose your own clients. Um, they they present it completely differently. It's very and glamorized. Completely glamorized. And like I said to you before, with um, how Spain is the, the market for low-cost prostitution, you know, there's different markets within the Latin American community, you mm-hmm. know, the, the countries where there's a lot of plastic surgery, you know, um, they'll market the Argentinian girls as VIP because they've had breast enhancements or whatever. Um, now there's loads of Colombian girls being brought in again. Um I've seen also even a lot of trans people, uh, in particular, tricked from Ecuador. Um, one woman I, I spoke to, basically, she came over. She had a little business in Ecuador, and um, she told she was told she was coming to work in a bakery in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And as soon as it got here, it was 
a lot of violence, like get this, put this wig on, get a pair of heels on, get to work. Um, and she's been in this vulnerable situation for so many years and they just, they get completely broken down, you know, um, especially during COVID. I, I saw a lot of um, people in prostitution, men and women, um, you know, they're forced to perform these riskier sexual, I don't want to say services, you know, sexual acts for less money as well, you know. Um, a lot of them are very, very scared for their lives as well because, you know, we know yeah. hunters can be extremely violent. Um, it, it's just, it's a really precarious situation all around, but I would have to say 99% of them told me they wanted to be doing something different. And you can say, you know, what are your dreams? They've all got other dreams. They had dreams before this. I asked every single person I interviewed, what is your dream, you know? Um, and I remember in particular, I went into this, I interviewed in this ethical brothel in Barcelona. Eth ethical brothel. Yeah, that's how it's marketed, an ethical brothel. And apparently I was interviewing the strongest, the strongest woman in the brothel. She really wanted to be there. And, you know, it was so ethical that manager was popping in every five minutes to check on us, you know. I mean, this woman, she was from Bulgaria. She had been made homeless at five or six years old. She remembers eating out of bins in Bulgaria. Um, all she wanted was a roof for her and her little brother because, you know, her father had been a violent alcoholic as well. Um, her mother died. She ended up on the street. And um, I remember her saying, you know, I'm not going to fall down. I'm not going to fall down. I can't. I can't. And being quite tearful. And, you know, she, she was presented as the strongest person, right, because she actually had done some studies. But she said to herself that she'd only go in for like two years and she'd been there for 10, you know, and she's, and she said, you know, her dream was to work with children. And she's like, oh, but I don't know because I've done this job for so long, if I'll be able to, if it'll hold me back, if I'll be any good, you know, she just had so much self-doubt. So she stayed in this situation, you know, because she didn't think she was worth any more than that. So um, I think the shame and the stigma um, that the women have is just tremendously hard for them to work through and, and to work for forward for their recovery, you know. So that's why we need these survivor-led centres mm -hmm. and these survivor-led programs because we can't possibly understand unless we've been in that situation. We can emphasise, but we can't completely understand. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, price line. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You know, and I have also spoken with some young women who had been in some like reinsertion centers and didn't want to be there. But as soon as they started working with someone who had been there and they connected with, you know, they started to flourish. So, um, you know, I'm a big believer in survivor-led programs. Um, I see it a lot. I see it a lot when I'm on panels. I see people thinking they're more experienced to speak over survivors. Um, I mean, obviously, we need experts in here as well. <laughs> we even need filmmakers like me. But, you know, we need to accompany these people on their journey forward right so that that means we need to listen um so yeah it's it's a very complex area to work in i don't have the answers um i can say what survivors have said to me that they believe the nordic model is a bundle of rights Mm -hmm. and if that bundle of rights had been accessible to them when they were in prostitution or there are victims of trafficking, um, maybe things could have been different. But, you know, we have these countries making billions of dollars per year from commercial sexual exploitation, you know. Um, it, it's quite despairing to look at the amount of work that we have um, to, to minimise exploitation. But I, I think I think that that's like a you know a goal is to you know minimize, prevent, and you know make people aware. Even the men, uh, I think you're saying like in Sweden was it Sweden where even the men are uh, aware of what is the meaning of consent and yeah. you know, educating people. And just a, a few moments ago, you were mentioning, and I, I'm glad you brought it up about the poverty because mm-hmm. you know the title exit. Um, at least for me as a viewer, you know, it does involve, you know, exiting that mm-hmm. lifestyle of poverty. But then there's also that that other part of exiting where it's okay, they've ex- they've left the life of poverty. Uh, and now for the three uh the three guests on your on the documentary on the film, it's also shedding a light on now trying to exit uh this form of of lifestyle this uh human trafficking and there is a a part there in the documentary where uh one of them is giving her testimony how she's in argentina mm-hmm. and there is a uh there is a raid done at the brothel and they get rescued and she was mentioning how uh you know the rescuers were expecting all these women who are all these uh, victims to run in their arms and to, to be grateful. But instead they were very 
the the reaction was the opposite and i think it was this it was this this guest but um someone said in the film that uh those who are in prostitution don't have the tools to leave and that society doesn't give them the tools uh so i want to ask you what is your uh, what are your thoughts on that comment regarding society not giving uh, victims the tools to leave? Yeah, I think I think looking at it a, a little wider, society, yes. And I mean, I've been on panels where, um, you know, after we've screened exit, where, you know, a survivor has said, you know, this is on all of you, you know, as a society and people have been, hey, don't you blame me? You know, you came here. <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't do it to you. I didn't traffic you. But, I mean, now, for example, going into Spain, back to Spain again, we've got 18-year-old boys going to brothels as a form of leisure. You know, it's considered a leisure activity. Even the head of the national police has said this is a massive problem you know, that we need to, you know, make an equal playing field, so to speak. You know, we've got these boys thinking they can do whatever they want, you know. Um, and then we've also got really high unemployment here as well. You know, you look at only fans and these sorts of um, platforms that look like a way to make easy money, which are often, you know, the slippery slope in, into prostitution and we have prostitution that's looking so glamorized and, uh, you know, De Niro Rapido in, <laughs> in, in the Latin speaking, Spanish speaking world, you know. So what is good about Exit is you see the realities, you see how they were recruited, okay, and also something that I think a lot of trafficking films don't focus on because there's no spectacle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no one rescuing, jumping into the jungle via a helicopter or whatever, um, or kids in cages. You see how hard it is for them to recover. I really wanted to focus on the recovery in this film. And you just see that they have to claw their way out. Mm-hmm. You know, And you look at some of these women okay, in my film, they have support. There's majority don't have any support. There's like one reinsertion center that I visit in Spain. They have had 300, uh, sorry, 400 women present and they only have places for 30. Hmm. You know, and this, this is the reality, you know. But I really like how you mentioned earlier about, uh, survivors helping survivors how that's actually even that that really has an impact and i i personally think uh well me as as a cult survivor uh what helped me to kind of break out of my own prison for my own exit was Mm -hmm. listening to other survivors because then i could i could relate and then there was a bit of a connection so when you mentioned uh survivors in the human trafficking uh, world helping other uh, victims I, I really it really has a a strong connection and I think that's very important and it gives meaning it gives a purpose to 
to uh to survivors to help prevent others from going through that same path yeah absolutely absolutely i mean it's it's essential that they're that they're a part of it you know and and now to kind of start you know wrapping things up um mm-hmm. because I, I i think right here is a good place to kind of stop so that now the audience they can they've they've learned enough about this film i think it's it's time for them to hopefully go watch exit uh so mm-hmm. where can they find uh this documentary okay well you can find exit on prime video in the us in english uh, it's a crossover film. I have uh, published in English and Spanish. The Spanish version is is narrated by Leticia Dolera. Um, she's an actress and activist here in Spain. The Spanish version is available on Tubi, okay? And it is available worldwide uh, on Vimeo On Demand in either English or Spanish. So um, all of the narration is in Spanish, respectively, or if you go for the English version, again, uh, the narration is in in English and it's subtitled when some Spanish is spoken. Okay. So yeah, for the audience, go. I'll be leaving the the links on the show notes. Thank you. So for those who are in different countries, they can go and check this out and even share it so that people can spread awareness as to what is happening and hopefully maybe policies can change and know that absolutely uh, yeah the, what was it the nordic oh, i can't remember the exact the, the nordic model. Model. you know what there's a real lack of universal language with the name of this law right because hmm. people call it their equality model the nordic model the sex buyers law we're trying to call it their equality model in europe but it's known as the nordic model because it originated in in Sweden. But yeah, it's definitely something I support. Um, You can also look at the, in the US, the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, if you want to get behind some laws that will actually help victims. um, And hopefully prevent creating more, which is what we need to do. Um, And that's why I think films like Exit are so important because they do have that educational aspect because human trafficking films, they've become a genre in themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I really knew what I didn't want in this film. I knew I didn't want nudity. I didn't want any of these cliches. Um, you know, we do know some people are chained up. Uh, we do know some people are kept in captivity, which happened with hope in my film, but we also know a lot are recruited by someone trusted to them. You know, it can be family. Um, it can be your your partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so and yeah, it, I, it's it's unfortunate, but that's that's the reality of many of these of these victims. That's the reality that they they've lived through is that they've been trafficked or you know betrayed many times by their their own loved ones by their family yeah absolutely like there's um i don't know if you have it in the u.s but it's like a type of trafficking that's identified here in europe called the lover boy Mm. technique and it's known like in the romanian networks um there's actually um 
a human trafficking survivor in Spain, uh, Amelia Tignos from Romania, who writes a lot. She was a, a victim of this lover boy um, trafficker, and she was sold for something like 300 euro to a Spanish pimp, you know? Like, it's, it's terrible how human life is so devalued you know, and it, men especially um, and boys, I want to watch Exit because they're in the first line to identify potential victims of trafficking. You know, they need to see these women and girls and men and boys as human beings. You know, many aren't choosing to be there. So, yeah, you know, we're going back to creating meaning needing to create meaningful relationships understanding what consent is um that prostitution shouldn't be like you know a social security for, yeah. for women and and that's that's how it's treated in anywhere in the world even in australia i remember being at uni and girls running low on cash oh you could go into es escorting trying to you know whitewash it in some way you know, or get a sugar daddy or something like that. It's not the safety net to fall back on. So we're really failing so many people in all of our societies. I see it in Australia. I see it in Spain. I hear stories from the US, from the UK, from everywhere. Yeah. So. And it's been around, like, I think all of human history is it's something yeah. that's I know, and people always say, oh, it's the oldest profession in the world. It's like, no, I think, you know, being a midwife or farming probably was its <laughs> oldest oppression, that's for sure. But uh, someone did say in the film, which I, I think it really blew my mind, yeah. uh, it, was a, it was a simple comment where she was saying that uh, the men who go there, they're not going for that sexual intimacy, connection, love. She says something like they go there because they have problems mm -hmm. and yeah. they they don't know how to resolve their problems. And they go there and they take all these drugs and they do all these terrible things, but they come with problems. So it, it's just, uh, again, for the audience, go check out this documentary, uh, this film, Exit. I'll be leaving uh, links in the show notes. And just to conclude this, uh, Alison, I would like to ask now, uh, are there any future projects that you have coming up that we can uh, keep our eyes open for? Yeah, I'm just finishing off my next film, The Girl from Salonika. It's a short this time, mm -hmm. and it's supported by claims in New York, the, the Conference on the Material Claims Against Germany, very long title. <laughs> um, but basically, it's about uh, Mazeltov, um, nicknamed Foko, a 17-year-old Greek girl who was deported to Auschwitz and used as um, a guinea pig for Nazi experiments, uh, sterilization experiments. So I've been, she survived, luckily. Um, and I've been working with her family. We've been looking at intergenerational trauma and especially medical ethics with mm. this film because another thing that's surprising for me so many people seem to believe that 
Nazi medicine, I don't want to call it that, uh, contributed a lot to our society. You know, so we're posing, which it didn't, but we're posing this question, is, is it ever ethical to use um, research that has been obtained in this way? Um, it's not. <laughs> mm -hmm, of course, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, we look at Fofo's story from when she was a young girl and her her experience in Birkenau, Auschwitz, and then looking for a place to go after the war. And again, she's like the women in Exit. Again, it's another film about a female survivor that lived, lived and continued to tell her story um, throughout her life, despite battling cancers as a result of these treatments, mm -hmm. these experiments rather. Um, you know, she she reached out. She wanted to educate the the youth um, on on what happens when governments fail us. Yeah. You know, what happens when us as human beings fail other human beings. You know, so again, it's another story on a powerful female survivor and the horrendous things we we can do to to other humans. And is there like a publishing date for this or not yet? I think in the next month I'll probably be releasing okay. <laughs> okay. some news on so, it. But yeah, so I'll I'll get you a screener because um yeah, I'd like to like to hear your thoughts on it. Again, it's going to be in English and Spanish. Okay, so that's something that I also um when it does come out, I'll be of course sharing that on yeah, thank you. on social I media. It. And uh, do you have any last words that you would like to say as we conclude this? Um, if anyone would like to see Exit but can't access it, and in, in particular if they're a survivor, please get in, in contact and I can um, get you a copy. Oh. Um, in particular, teachers, I'd really like teachers to show it to their students if possible because I really think the youth, we have a chance to change their minds, you know. Um, not to say all, us adults are a, a, a lost cause, but, you know, I really, really want to reach the youth with this film. So it's probably geared for a mature audience 16 years above. That they can watch it for themselves um, and to determine if it could be um, suitable. Also... I'm looking at rolling it out on educational platforms next year, but that's also a lot of work to get it to these platforms and, and in expense as well. So like you mentioned, it's available on Tubi in Spanish, in English on Prime Video and Vimeo English and Spanish worldwide. Hi everyone, this is Ryan Anthony Hernandez and I hope you enjoyed that latest interview with Alison Jane Wilson. In the show notes, I'll be leaving links so you can watch the documentary Exit. And also, I wanted to tell the audience that I'm trying to grow this podcast even bigger. So soon, I'm not sure when, but I'm working on starting up a Patreon so you can get more of your recommendations if you want me to read a certain book and talk about it, or you want me to watch a movie, or if there's somebody who you think would be a good fit for this podcast, you can really communicate with me more through Patreon. And just remember that all of your support 
really helps me and the work that I do go even further. Uh, as of now, I'm doing this out of my own resources, out of my own uh, my little room here, and I have my little uh, I have my little light. But hey, that's how we start. We start little by little, uh, humble beginnings. But uh, hopefully, if you would like, feel free to support me, and I'll be leaving links to help this channel grow in the show notes as well. Have a good day and peace out.